Are we recording? Oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Like, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day as long as you had a sandwich and a net. Okay, so the, the next section, the, I guess, what do they call this? Like the add-on, the bonus feature, the bonus? Addendum. Yeah, the, the bonus of the podcast, the, the addendum. Um, bonus content. Something I post, yeah, bonus content, there you go. So I, posted, only. I posted about this on, um, on the Off Performance Training Instagram last week and Facebook. Um, just discussing, like basically because uh, I'd, seen some, I'd seen some people sharing and I've seen it on Twitter as well um, of people sharing Connor McDavid's uh, training videos at home. And for people who don't know who Connor McDavid is, he's a forward for the Edmonton Oilers. He plays hockey in the NHL and he's probably undisputably the best hockey player in the world right now. Um, and anyway, so when you watch his training videos of him doing specifically like air squats, uh, a lot of people in the fitness community may think that they're embarrassing. <laughs> or they're they're or they're performed very poorly um and so i guess the one thing i would i would ask is like um this always comes down to the context is like why does it matter for Connor mcdavid to perform air squats properly or does it matter for him to perform air squats properly um and then connecting that connecting training whatever training is for Connor, to being the best player in the world Okay, so one is like, why does does he need to even care about doing air squats the way that we do them, right? In the way that are proper, and trying to always keep in mind that he is the best player in the world. So when I'm working with say youth athletes who are very specialized in their sport, I generally try to justify non-specific training to help fortify them against injury. Mm-hmm. So basically, if they're not strong in positions that are not in, uh, in use specifically in their sport, then when they're forced in that position by like a, like getting rammed to the boards or losing their edge and slamming to the boards or something like that, um, that their body isn't prepared to handle that load in that scenario. So if they are unprepared for that and they end up injured because of it, then they lose ice time and they lose their potential uh, progression in their sport. That's, that's a, a case for being able to do movements that are full range of motion um, and gain strength in those positions outside mm-hmm. of their sport. Yeah, I guess the real, the, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all on that. Um, the one, the one thing I would, I would say is that like, I guess you would assume he does lunging and he does that type of stuff and he does step ups and different variations. It just wasn't videoed. Um, but it, to me, the main, the main point is that it was just his, his instinct to do air squats in a very shortened range of motion. And for people that didn't see the video, he's just doing air squats. So like what we would probably call quarter squats or half squats. And he was just pulsing up and down and he was calling them air squats because that's what he was doing for his home workout. I actually have a question. So like, I think a lot of people will 
well, maybe not a lot, but some people have this question too, is like, you know, so if his squat is terrible or if you look at LeBron's, he's loading it and it looks bad. Do you still continue to train it or try to train it or work to trying to get like a better squat? Like I have an idea of what I would do, but mm-hmm. you know, um, just curious about what you guys would do. Like, would you say like, Oh, let's regress LeBron to only doing box squats. Cause he could probably do that like better than arching his back the way he was and getting to the depth he was that kind of thing. I would say how important is that movement in a sport? Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? What scenario are you applying it in? Are you applying it in a sport specific training environment or are you adding it in? Like Jason said, to try and mitigate the injury, the, uh, the opportunity for injury. If it's not, that important in their performance in their sport i like in the in the example of Connor mcdavid i can almost guarantee that he's better in single leg positions than any one that we've ever encountered in our life right in terms of single leg split squat whatever you want to call it strength positions um power ability. movement at those positions his ability to, to load to amortize to you know, all of the, all of those things that are so important in his sport and that make him the world's best in his sport. Um, he's going to be far superior in those moments than, and than anyone we've ever encountered. And the air squat plays such a small role in that performance that it's just probably negligible. Right. So right. why, why even address it unless there's some sort of underlying, you see some sort of underlying issue that may lead to injury down the road. That would be my opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. So for someone like, okay, so he does play hockey and notoriously hockey people, they generally are very good at single leg stuff. So yeah, that is the case. But for someone like LeBron for say, right. Like how would you address that? Like looking at what he's doing, like, do you say like, why is the trainer even bothering giving him that? Why yeah. just take it out altogether? Well, that's what I would say. I was like, well, one, why are you, why are you doing it? And two, and if you're going to be doing it and doing it in any sort of volume in your training program, we need to address it because right. if you didn't see the video, it doesn't look good. So if yeah. you're going to be doing it and it's going to be a, you know, a staple in your program, at least for a period of time, do it right. You know? Um, but if it's just something that was kind of hap- like thrown in, yeah. Right. Right. Variety. We have no idea, but yeah. yeah. So, like the first, the first thing you'd probably say is you'd probably for someone like LeBron and his, uh, um, his anthropometric, he would probably want to put the load in front of his body, right? Given how long his femurs are, uh, and you probably want to have him squat to a target and this type of stuff. But then you also go back to the basics of like, what are you doing it for? What's the point? Right. Um, are you doing it as a way to try to just maintain? or as like injury mitigation is what James, as uh, Jason was mentioning earlier, or are you thinking it's going to give him some type of performance advancement or which I think is the main one. LeBron thinks it's good for him. Right. LeBron thinks it's good for him to do back squats and he posts a video of it. And he obviously thinks that it adds to his ability. And that's ultimately what matters is that he thinks it matters. Um, you just want to have it, <laughs> have the training be effective as well as, as it actually matters to the athlete. You put those two things together, then it's really good. Um, but then I, and now the one, little, one little thought experiment you would go is, okay, so let's say Connor McDavid uh, never heard of squatting his entire life. Is he still the best player in the NHL right now? Uh, yes, he is. That's, that's one way to answer the question. Is like, 
he'll still end up being the best player in NHL, even if he doesn't know what a damn squad is because it's not important, but it could be, it could be used in, in a way to make, to, I guess, to try to, again, protect him from injuries. Um, but the idea that LeBron James needs to be doing back squatting or squatting in general, and that Connor McDavid needs to be doing squatting to stay where they are in their sports to me is just a bit, uh, it's just incorrect or, or incomplete of an answer. Yeah. I think that certain coaches too, they just put over emphasis on movements and like squatting is definitely one of them. And Cause you just think about it from an actual, like if you're, if a goal is to, obviously with jumping, like the quadriceps are massively important with jumping and obviously absorbing loading and protecting the knee. Um, so the, uh, the obvious question would be, why isn't LeBron just doing step-ups? Like for his yeah. size, like why isn't he just doing step-ups? Cause you can train the knee how you want it at the angles you want it. Um, and it would be, it, to me, it would be much more effective. But again, it just goes back to the idea that what matters, like as, as long as LeBron thinks back squats are good for him, he'll be brain threes. Yeah. Okay. And then the other bonus section, <laughs> oh, the second bonus section of the podcast will be um, something I posted about it a while ago as well. I can't remember if I posted it as a post or as on my stories, um, but it's about this idea of uh, RPE or rate of perceived exertion uh, and anticipation of or basically a future RPE and fu future efforts. Uh, and you think of it in two things. So think of like, um, your rating of effort, how hard you feel like you're working. Classic rating of effort is a six to 20 uh, Borg scale. And there's, if you go look at it, there'll be lots of descriptions of what each uh, number along the scale works like. Suffice to say, uh, a six out of 20 score, or conversely, a one out of 10 score is basically you sitting here just chatting. Um, 10 out of 10 or 20 out of 20 is, is basically you are maxed out effort wise and you will do anything to have this to be done right now so that's effort um and you can also do that with, with in terms of like muscular fatigue specifically with muscular fatigue so the level of muscular fatigue you have in your quadriceps right now is very low if you ran out your door and you live next to a big hill and you sprinted up the hill for five minutes as fast as you could after a couple of minutes, you're going to be at almost max effort in terms of what you would rate your quadricep fatigue at, because it's going to be massive, especially if you're Matt Brady. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the one thing that the reason I, I discussed this um, is that it's a common thing when designing specifically running for people. Now that there's less options for people to train, you would want people to start uh, if they want to, if you want to try to find ways to provide another outlet for them to improve their fitness, running is a viable option for that. But um, one of the main characteristics of running, which makes it separate from skier rowing air bike is you can't just jump on and do whatever. So um, like this is like, just really make this simple. If you replace the marathon row, at the CrossFit Games in 2018 with a marathon run, you don't even have Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the CrossFit Games because these athletes are absolutely decimated. You, you can't just do a marathon run on the drop of a hat um, because I'm not joking. I speak from experience. <laughs> your legs will be in, there's, there'll be nothing left to your lower body. Like, and not like, man, they're tired and you get up the next day. Like, man, they're tired and you cannot walk for two, three, four, five days. And not even that they're sore, they're, they don't function. 
they don't work. Um, so that's the difference in loading. And it's just basic stuff. Of course, more tangents, um, just more uh, simple ideas as to why, like you know, on average, the top, like uh, the top end endurance athletes, runners will likely do half the amount of time in training as, uh, as, as a cyclist would do. Just for the simple idea, they, it's the amount of load being absorbed to the legs. Okay. So getting back to the idea of, um, okay, so people are going to start running. Um, and one of the, like one comp, one simple way to do this is you have people do like run, walk, run, walk or whatever. Um, and then, then as you get them up to like, you know, 20 minutes of continuous work, 30 minutes of continuous work, uh, I usually, usually provide just saying, I want them to start by just running easy and what feels like comfortable and easy to them and emphasizing easy. Um, because I don't really have an idea. Then normally they don't have heart rate monitors. Uh, we don't know what their max heart rate is. Um, and we also have no metrics really for what duration, what they're, what they're like, how fast their best 30 minute time is or what their pace is. So just give them the idea of run slow for 20 minutes. Um, but the common thing that happens is like, say a few, like early in it, if they do 20 minutes of running easy, let's just pick a number. Um, they say that they ran and let's just use a girl. They ran at five minutes and 30 minutes, five, five minutes, 30 seconds per kilometer for 30 minutes. And it felt easy or 20 minutes and it felt really easy. And to me, I know that that's too fast because I know for them, if I ask them to run that for 60 minutes, it's going to go from, they're going to go from saying, wow, that was really easy to the last 10 minutes were extremely hard. Um, and so if I'd said, if I just said, okay, I want you to run 60 minutes easy. Um, or like, let's just say they take that same pace. They're going to think that five minutes, 30 seconds is really easy, but it's the idea of their inability to anticipate future RPE due to the lack of experience, uh, in running. And so it's always just an interesting, it's, we're not, I guess I'm not really trying to make a point here. I'm just trying to say that I find it interesting that I see this commonly happen is that these individuals run these durations as what they would consider really easy, say 20, 30 minutes, and you just double that duration. And uh, that will become extremely hard for them for that second, that set that if you just add on the time, even though they're running what they perceive as being easy. So like, you know, obviously if their body's not used to running that duration, uh, if they're not used to that many steps, that much distance, of course, that's going to factor in. But the part to me that always seems interesting is their inability to anticipate um, what, what the appropriate pace should be um, simply from their lack of experience in doing it um, because it, it is a novel scenario for them, right? So if I'm asking them to run, um, and just to go back to the same example, they run that 20 minutes and they self-select the pace of five minutes and 30 seconds per kilometer and it feels really easy. And then a couple weeks later, um, I have someone run a 10 kilometer time trial because they've worked up to running a lot, like lots of, they've worked up to, um, to running enough work, uh, volume and I want to have some metric for them. So I was like, oh, okay, you're okay to run this duration. Let's just see, um, let's see how fast you can do it. And it was just under 50 minutes. So it works out to five minutes per kilometer. So if you know anything about running 30 seconds spread between your fastest pace <laughs> for 50 minutes or 10 kilometers and five minutes and 30 seconds is very, that's not, that's a very small spread in time. 30 seconds per kilometer is a very, very tight pacing. 
uh, in terms of in terms of uh, disparity. And uh, just use an example myself. My best 10 kilometer pace would be like four minutes and 20, four minutes, 15 seconds per kilometer. And my training pace for easy would be six minutes per kilometer. So that's the spread in it. And what I'm saying is that um, the difference to myself and this individual is due to my experience with running, my ability to anticipate and project effort levels in the future are far superior. But it's a common thing where if we just, if I leave it up to the athlete to run, their the common scenarios, their anticipated easy is much harder than what they think it is. And they don't know because they haven't done the durations before. Um, and you only really see it once you have them do a long, a test and you would see, okay, this is their actual best effort and it's not much faster than what they think is easy. So what do you do to try to get them to slow down? You first you have to tell them to slow down, <laughs> um, and try to explain it to people. Um, but even a lot of people still don't, they don't believe it. They, they, they don't, they just don't get it. They're like, I need you to, I need you to go slower. They're like, yeah, but it's, it feels easy. It's like, yes. <laughs> so what, what do you what do you tell those people though like why yeah. you want them to run easy like what's what's that message well i don't tell them the reasoning why like i don't tell them i want them running um in a zone one effort like i'm not telling them that i just tell them uh, i want you to run at this pace like i don't explain to them the rationale of i want you training longer duration in low lactate environments i don't, I don't explain that to them yeah. and high levels of quadricep uh oxygen saturation and low heart rates I don't, I don't know that there's any use in that. I just go, okay, I want you to do this pace and tell me what your heart rate was. And then I get back from there and go, okay, okay. It's 20 year, 20 year old girl. She was at like 150 beats per minute. All right. It's probably roughly around 75% of her max heart rate, probably around there. Okay, cool. Versus if you let them self-select it, they're running 80, 85% of their max heart rate and they don't even know. But again, the idea being they run that heart rate for 20 minutes and their inability to anticipate what their effort levels will be 30 or 40 minutes down the road is what I always find very interesting. Right. And then you put them in a CrossFit scenario uh, and, and then like, obviously you would, you would do this with a beginner. You put a beginner into a CrossFit scenario and have them do, you know, 21, 15, nine of like rowing thrusters and burpees, someone who's a beginner, their, their, <laughs> their idea of what their effort level should be to start is going to be way too high. Um, someone who's never done this before, like their, their anticipate their ability to anticipate um, what their effort levels will become and what their levels of muscular fatigue will become is very poor. So like you can think, you can think of the scenario when you're coaching someone through a workout like that and, and like literally being their brain and telling them when to stop, when to slow down, take a break, do three reps, break. And they're like, why should I do three reps? Like, well, because when you get to the round of nine, you're going to be happy. You listen to me because even though you don't understand it, your effort level is going to do this. Even though I'm slowing you down, you don't understand it. What I'm saying is that what I was so now what I'm saying, what I just find very interesting is, is experienced CrossFit athletes and their inability to project effort at 60 minutes, even though they've done 20 in specifically running. I always find that very interesting. Any thoughts on that? I think it would extend outside of just running because I don't, not very I don't, many people. I don't know. I don't know about that. But how many, how many CrossFit workouts extend to 60 minutes? Oh, no, so yeah, it's got nothing to do with that. I just mean like they're, uh, um, 
but, but I would just go back to it and go, okay, well, if you just took a common workout and you made it longer, they would still figure it out. Mm, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Would be yeah. Like they, they would probably be able to make sense of it, even yeah. though it is somewhat novel, but it is more familiar to them than running for, uh, they're running a half, run, for example, run a half marathon. I would almost guarantee you, if you told the average CrossFit athlete to go run a half marathon, they're going to start at a pace that's probably 30 seconds to a minute faster per kilometer than what they're going to average out at. So what's the novelty then? Well, like again, the half marathon might not be the best example because it's long enough to incur enough muscular damage and enough uh, like strain on the system that you're going to run into actual problems as opposed to like a pacing problem. But again, I just, I just find that, uh, that scenario, which constantly happens, very, very interesting to me. And I just want to hear someone else's thoughts on it. I mean, I just think that people undervalue easy work, honestly. I just oh, think yes. that's always what it comes down to. They always think like, I need to be trying hard. I need to be killing myself. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. So but I think like, yeah, you take a scenario, like a specific CrossFit scenario. So someone on a rower comfortably, comfortably rows at 1200 cows an hour for, I don't say, I don't know, a hundred cows. And they can so do that. Basically a guy. Yeah. Like yeah, and, that's, and that feels relatively easy. So now you have them in a 20-minute AMRAP scenario where they have 20 cows in the rower, 15 step-down box jumps or box jump overs, and then 10 devil's press. Some of those people are still going to try and row that at 1,200 cows an hour the whole time. Yeah. Right? And it, and it takes the coach to be – and not just beginners, but I mean like intermediate level CrossFit athletes. And it takes the coach specifically being there telling them, you need to slow down on the rower and they're, you know, four minutes in and they're like, well, I feel fine. And then seven minutes in, they're like sucking air laying on the ground in between devil's press. You know what I mean? So I feel like I get what you're saying in, in, in regards, in regards to the row and the running, but I don't think it's necessarily just specific to the running, but that's my opinion. I think that's the whole idea of training is to give people a proper experience so they can start to project a little bit further into the future. Like it's not because it is, if it's completely novel, you don't even know what, uh, what it's going to feel like in 10 minutes, let alone 60. Yeah. But if you, as you start building up to 10 minutes, you're like, okay, well now I have the experience up to this much. Now I can kind of project a little further, a little further. So maybe, maybe even it's the psychological preparedness is that like, I'm going to go slow because I know this is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mm-hmm. mean, I think that might be the entire purpose of training for fitness and fitness extending out to running as well so yeah i and uh i think what tom said is right where people um if, with what they do with easy work is just undervalued and they don't they don't do it correctly uh, and i'm not sure if it's just a an ego thing where people can't just do it properly if you're going to do it just i i always say just do it right that's i came up with that um <laughs> And then with Scott, like people being unable to anticipate it or, or be able to project what their pace are going to be. Um, again, I, 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 I do, I do see your point on that. I do agree with you that people are, if it's a specifically novel scenario of like 20 calorie row, devil's press, whatever for 20 minutes. Um, but then when you think of it just being the one modality, right? So you don't have to monitor effort through different modalities and, a, and an overall effort. You just have to monitor how you're feeling in this one modality that you're just doing over and over. 
Um, but I would still say, yeah, I, I, um, I think the, like, you know, if you just use the example of someone starting out on a rower, if you said, I want you to row really easy, like, you know, I bet that their easy pace would not, would, would still end up being hard if you let make them go for an hour. Like, it'll be like, this is really hard. You're like, I know, because you don't understand what easy is. Um, and it's, uh, it's a good, like if, if someone, I'm sh- I, and if you just extend it out even longer, and let's say they're incapable of doing it, um, you just extend it out really long and make it three hours. I would almost guarantee the pace that they think is easy for their five minute row is faster than their three hour PR pace. I would almost bet that for a lot of people, they would be down like for the average girl, they'd probably be down to rowing two twenty, two third, two two twenty five for three hours, and they'd be like, "What?" And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah. but it just goes back to the idea of like there, the, the like as you extend it to duration. So I guess we can make it more, uh, across the board examples. Um, as you extend it to duration of time, people's like uh, inexperience in that duration, uh, lends for very, very poor anticipation of, uh, of future effort levels, even though you may think what's going to occur. Um, or you may be able, you may think that you're going to understand you're going to do it well. Uh, experience is always the best teacher but I would just find a scenario comes up over and over and over with running. And I was just wondering if you guys saw this happen before. Oh yeah. I mean, I have clients that haven't really been running much and then now they have nothing to do. So it's like, well, now you're going to run. And uh, the first time, like it was 20 minutes, that's it. And immediately she goes, I died halfway through the run. And it was like, well, do you think you just ran too fast? And it's like, yep, of course. (laughs) But they, I think they learn pretty quickly. Yeah. It's, it's just, anyway, I just find it interesting. It's why you go back to the basics of uh, when you prescribe snatching, clean and jerk, squatting. If you know people well, you try to, you try to give them ideas on loading. You try to give them ideas and rest times. You try to provide the details for them to try because you're trying to control the training stimulus. Um, lots of times with, the, with running, uh, there, is no, there, are, there are no details. It's just I want you to run. I want you to do this. And most people are like, what you're asking them to do is you're asking them to do front squats with really, really low weight and they're front squatting at 80% of their max. And they think this is easy. You're like, no, like you don't get it. So it goes back to the coach being the onus of trying to control the variables and use the details and make sense of the program to the most effective rate. Um, Anyway, that's a little sidebar and I'm not sure if anyone will find that interesting. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.